What has happened to a nation that used to fear the Lord? To a people whose foundation was built upon God's word. We've allowed the world's opinion to chart a different way. But it's time the church of Jesus Christ should boldly stand and say, God's word will stand against the raging tide of those who criticize and work their evil plans. God's word will stand against the gates of hell with power to prevail in the hearts of men. God's word will stand. They can take it from the courthouse walls, remove it from the schools, teach our children that we're animals, speak against the golden Try and hide our Christian heritage from the public eye, but they'll never overcome God's word, no matter how they try. God's word will stand against the raging tide of those who criticize and work their evil plans. God's word will stand against the gates of hell with power to prevail in the hearts of men god's word will stand it is forever settled to evermore endure it's the only way a sinner's heart those who criticize and work their evil plans god's word will stand against the gates of hell with power to prevail in the hearts of men god's word will stand god's word will Amen. God's word will stand. And sure enough, it has through the years, the centuries, the millenniums, and now it's going to stand again, and it'll continue to stand. It's forever settled in heaven, it says. That's a great song, and it certainly reflects the word of God well. Well, tonight, interesting little thing going on here tonight. I uh, was talking to Brother Mark here just the other day, and we were talking about, we were talking about, well, he says it's no longer called global warming, it's climate change. Yeah. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of science out there, right? So-called science. And so we got to talking about that. And so I thought, well, I'm going to find out what the uh, fellow that has a master's in geophysics thinks. Yeah. 
I figured he teaches science at the Grandview Christian Academy. He does apologetics there and teaches a lot of different things. And he says that, and we started talking, asking questions. He brought up a couple good biblical points. And I thought, man, that's something we all ought to hear. And so I asked him to come and share just a few moments about this issue of climate change from a biblical perspective. I don't have exactly, I don't know exactly what he's going to say. But I think you can trust Brother Mark. He's a good guy. And of course, that's my brother-in-law, my son-in-law, excuse me. It's just that I feel so young, right? I mean, we're almost the same age. You look that way, right? Now, we know better than that, don't we? But anyway, Brother Mark's going to come, and he's going to share from the Word of God. And again, I just, uh, I just there's a lot of misinformation out there, folks. And, and we're really, you know, we've got to keep things in perspective biblically. Boy, there's so many people telling us what to believe and think, but we've got to stick to the book, okay? Got to stick to the Bible, and so, I don't know exactly what he's going to say, but I got a feeling from what I heard already, I'm excited about it. And then he'll give you a chance to ask a few questions, okay? So, write them down. Brother Mark. All right. I am very excited tonight, very grateful for the opportunity. Um, like you said, I teach uh, high school math and science out of Grandview Christian Academy, ministry of uh, Grandview Baptist Church in Beaver Creek, Oregon, uh, which is about 35 miles southeast of Portland. And so I love it out there. Morgan is out there with me as well. She's teaching. She's in charge of the entire music program at the school there. And so we're, we're having a great time out there. Um, and anytime I get the chance to talk about science, uh, earth science, climate change, anything like that, I love it. Um, I love to be able to share um, and to be, able to be able to discuss those things, to learn more about them. And so hopefully I can share a couple of things with you tonight. Um, and I, I want to come at this from a little bit different perspective. In fact, I'm going to share two different perspectives tonight. Um, and talk about, maybe you heard the word worldview. Um, worldview essentially is just how you view the world, the lens through which you view the world. And perhaps you've, you've heard that term before, maybe you haven't, um, but there are, of course, a number of different people out there with different opinions, right? You put two, two people in a room together, they're going to have different opinions about just about everything. Um, and so there are a number of different opinions about how the world works, different things like that, but most of them fall under the two major umbrellas of the two major worldviews. And the first one we see is a biblical worldview, right? How I view the world through the lens of the Bible, through the lens of Scripture. I always look through this as my founding authority, okay? And then we have a secular or a naturalistic worldview uh, through which I view the world through the lens of naturalism, secularism, science. Um, and, and these are really the two leading philosophies that we see out there that govern people's opinions about what they look at. Maybe you heard of uh, Ken Ham down in uh, Kentucky. And uh, Brother Ken Ham, he, he always says this. He says, um, we all have the same evidence we look at, right? We all look at the same fossils, the same plants, the same DNA. Um, we all look at the same science. But we come to two very different, different conclusions because we have different worldviews. Um, and that's, that's very much the truth, very much the truth, because there are those two different worldviews. And I want to share those two different worldviews with you tonight. I want to talk about climate change um, where climate change has come from, from a secular worldview, um, what they base this off of, what, it, what does it mean exactly to have climate change, um, and then come at it from a biblical worldview. Do we need to be concerned? Is it real? Um, what, does, what does it mean for us? Okay, uh, before I get there, I want us to open to Mark chapter 7. And I, I noticed this the other, other day, and I, I never noticed this before. Maybe you have. I didn't. And Mark chapter 7 and verse number 32, we have Jesus Christ here um, on his 
earthly ministry, and he says that in verse uh, 32 of Mark chapter 7, And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed. I never noticed that before. Jesus Christ here was in the middle of performing a miracle, and in the middle of that miracle, the Bible takes time to put those two words in there that says, he looked up to heaven and sighed. And I kind of step back, and why would Jesus Christ sigh? And why would he take even more importance to put it in the word of God for us to read? And, and I could be wrong here, but personally I believe that he sighed because he was the one who created all of, all of mankind. He created everything, and he's seeing what sin had done. He's seeing that the fallen mankind, what the curse has brought to mankind. And although he's able to heal this man, he looks upon the entire world and sees what they're going through and what sin has brought about, the curse. And we're, and we're, we're going to take a little bit more of a look at that tonight as well, but I wanted to, I wanted to share that with you because I thought that was, that was pretty interesting. That Even Jesus Christ, when he was here on, on this earth, he saw how much this world has fallen. And sometimes we can get discouraged. Right? It's, it's easy for us to look around us and say, man, this world is going to hell in a, in a handbasket. Man, it's rough out there. Man, is there any hope? Is there any place of encouragement? We know there is, right? We know there is. Um, and so I, I want to share that with you because even Jesus Christ, when he was here, he noticed that. He saw that. And it's okay to notice that, but it's also okay because we know who is in control. So first of all, I want to I share with you, before we get, we get going, I better pray here real quick, and then I'll jump into this. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you very much for today. Uh, we are very grateful, Father, for a chance to meet, to fellowship, to worship you. And God, we, we, I do believe that you're in this place. Lord, if you're not, God, we pray that you would show up. And God, you're not required to be here. You don't have to be here. Uh, God, we could, we could go through that, this entire service and we could still worship you. We can still praise you and glorify you. And, and there's no need for you to be here, per se. But we ask that you do show up. God, we, we didn't come here, Lord, so that you could be in our presence. We came here so we could be in yours. And we ask, Lord, that you would do just that. May you please, Lord, show up. May it help this to be an encouragement to people. God, may it help it to be, Lord, just, Lord, another tidbit, another nugget, Lord, to tuck away for another day. And, Lord, that we can use, Lord, just to be an encouragement to us. We love you so much, Father. We thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, let's see here. So climate change, right, climate change. It all started back around the year 2000, 22 years ago. The first scientific paper came out. It was published in a scientific magazine called Nature. Maybe you've heard of that before. Um, and in the year 2000 was when uh, the first scientific article was written and published where they talked about climate change. Up to that point, it was more about global warming, right? And that's where that, those key words, those buzzwords started to change a little bit. So they started talking about climate change. And in, in this paper written in the year 2000, there were about five or six different scientists who came together and they wanted to find a link between the amount of carbon dioxide that was found in our atmosphere and if that would affect our climate, if that would change our climate. And when they refer to climate change, they're, they're referring to the temperature of our climate changing. And as a result, when, when the temperature fluctuates, when it changes in our environment, in our atmosphere, it's going to affect everything. If, if the temperature in our climate were to increase by 10 degrees, 
you'd have a major melting of polar ice caps, you'd have major seawater change. As a result, you'd have, that would affect the amount of precipitation that would fall on Earth. That would affect uh, possibly the amount of diseases that are prevalent on Earth. That would also affect uh, every single living organism that lives on Earth, right? And so once that starts to change, how do we control it? We can't. But if they can control that temperature increase before it gets there, then let's see if we can. And so this paper was written specifically for the reason where they wanted to find a link between the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere to that change in temperature. And one of the things they found was what they called, they call them carbon sinks and carbon sources. Right? So mankind is considered a carbon source. When I breathe, what comes out? Carbon dioxide. I inhale oxygen, I exhale carbon dioxide. I'm considered a carbon source. Carbon comes from me. When I pass away and I go into the ground, I'm made of carbon, and that carbon is slowly released. When any living organism dies, carbon it's made out of carbon, and carbon is released into the atmosphere. That's known as a carbon source. Whenever I drive my car, I've got emissions coming out of the tailpipe, and those are carbon emissions coming out. It's a carbon source. Okay? Any power plant, whenever it's burning fuel, Fossil fuel, it's burning carbon, it's a carbon source. But they also found carbon sinks, right? If I'm a carbon source and I exhale carbon dioxide, on the flip side of that, I look at a plant, and a plant is considered a carbon sink because a, a plant takes in carbon dioxide, right, and, and produces oxygen. It's amazing how, how God created that, right? But it's known as a carbon sink because it's what, it is what takes in that carbon dioxide. So they, they uncover that there are different areas in the world that there are more carbon sinks and carbon sources, depending on where you're at. So that's something that they uncovered. And they, they noticed that their evidence indicated, it indicated that there was a link between the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and climate change. There's no substantial proof. There's no beyond a reasonable doubt. That was it. It indicated. All right? In the year 2009, a second paper was written. And in this paper, over 35 different authors came together, uh, and they wanted to study more about these, these carbon sinks and these carbon uh, sources. And they wanted to study the trends in them. What, what has the Earth been doing over the past 50 years, and, and where have these sinks been found? Have they grown? Have they shrunk? Is it helping us? Is it hurting us? And so they, they studied the past 50 years to find out what has been happening to these carbon sinks and these carbon sources. They, they automatically assumed that the amount of carbon in the atmosphere would affect climate change. There was no question about it. They specifically referred back to that paper in, in the year 2000, saying this paper says that there is a link to, between the two, and because of that, we're going to study the, the, the trends and the sinks and the sources. You see, automatically, because one paper was written, we assume. We assume, and that's exactly what happened here. It indicated, and those, that's the exact word they used in there. There's no substantial proof whatsoever. And so they studied these, these sinks and these sources, and they found out that they're very hard to determine if they're not, they're not stable at all. They're very unstable. Over the past 50 years, the amount of carbon sinks we have um, throughout the globe has shrunk by about 5%, which can be disconcerting to some people. It can be scary, right? 
But th this was very scary to them. And so now they're, they're building a trend, right? The first paper written in the year 2000 showed that um, there might be a possible link between carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and climate change. The second paper in the year 2009 showed that, okay, now we show that there's less and less carbon being absorbed by the Earth it itself. And then nine years later in the year 2018, another paper was written. And these three papers are the leading papers that we have today, the leading scientific papers um, that show or give evidence for climate change. Now, there's, there's more information out there, sure. But these are the, the most cited papers of all. In other words, the, the most books, news articles, other scientists refer to these three papers more than anything else. And this third one in uh, the year 2018 was written by a number of the same scientists. Many of them were still working on the same thing, okay? And in this paper, they wanted to see, all right, since we know that the amount of carbon being absorbed by the Earth is shrinking, how much of that percentage of carbon that's going into the atmosphere is produced by, by mankind? How much of it is it produced by fossil fuels, right? Buzzword. And then um, how much are we trying to diminish the amount of carbon that we're putting into the atmosphere? And so they, in that paper, they discovered something very scary. And one of the biggest things that they uncovered was that world population is greatly affecting the amount of carbon that's going into the atmosphere. And at the rate the world population is growing, there's no way that we could even catch up. There's no way that we could control that carbon emissions to a point where it's going gonna, it's gonna to start on the decline. It's always going to be the, on the increase from now on. We'll never be able to decrease the amount of carbon that's produced. And they had, they had a point there. Because up until the year 1700, the world's population was under a billion people. It, it slowly grew at a constant rate. Slowly grew. And then just, just after the year 1700, the world finally hit 1 billion people. And then between, between the year uh, around 1825, around there, we hit 1.5 billion people. And from that point, from 1900 all the way up to the year 2000, the world's population grew from 1.5 billion to 6.5 billion in 100 years. That's incredible. For 5,800 years, the world barely got to a billion people. And in 100 years, it increased by 6 billion. That's insane. That's incredible. And it scared scientists half to death. But right now, we're pushing 8 billion. We're pushing 8 billion right now. And if we continue this trend over the next 100 years, by the year 2100, who knows? It'll be incredible. And so coming from a secular worldview, if I'm looking at it through this lens, and I notice that there's a trend between the amount of carbon being produced by, man by mankind, and it changes the climate that I'm living in, and I don't know what that change is going to bring about, it scares me. Because now, I can't control it. I can't control it, and that's bad news for the human race. So bear with me here, and I'll stand from their perspective, where they're looking at it from. Now, they may, they may not read these papers. They may read the, the, the magazines and the newspapers, and they, they, they watch the news on, on television, and they hear all these things. And they can link these things together, and it's very scary. It can be. It is. All right? That's a secular worldview. That's a secular worldview. And, and I want us to be very careful with this, 
because so often we can dismiss it like that, just push it away. It's stupid. It's dumb. And you might be right. You might be right. But just as you are convinced that where you're standing at is right, you have somebody on the complete opposite side who is just as convinced as you are that believes what they believe is right. And if I tell them what they believe is stupid, how are they going to listen to me when I try to share the gospel? I got to be careful. I got to be really careful. All right, so now let's look at it from a biblical worldview. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. We always go to the Bible. Now, I can, I can blow holes in their argument all day long. And if we have time, I might do that. But we always go to the word of God first, every single time. John chapter 4 says, thy word is truth, right? And if I want the truth, I go to the source of truth. That's where I start. I don't start with science. I don't start with anything else. I start here every single time, all right? So in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 28, we see an extremely important commandment. This is known as uh, what we call either the creation mandate or the dominion mandate. It's extremely important. It's the very first command that God gave to mankind. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, the Bible says this, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. This is, this is very important, especially when it comes to climate change. Now, let me ask you this. Did God give a limit here? When he commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, did he give them a limit? Replenish the earth until there's 8 billion people. No. Did he say, be fruitful and multiply until there's, there's too much carbon in the atmosphere? No. No, he didn't. He said, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish, re- replenish the earth and have dominion over it, and subdue it. That was his command to them. Let me ask you this. When God said these things to Adam and Eve, do you think he knew where the earth would be at in the year 2022? Do you think he knew how many people would be on earth? Do you think he knew how much carbon dioxide would be, would be in the atmosphere? And yet he didn't change anything. He said the exact same thing. We have no need to worry. We have no need to worry. God created the earth so amazingly unique and spectacular in every single way. There is no reason for us to worry whatsoever. I want to show you a couple more verses here in the book of Psalms. Let's go to Psalm 78. Psalm 78, and then I'll give you a couple, a couple um, illustrations, and, and it will close down for questions. In Psalm 78, in verse number 69... Psalm 78, verse number 69, the Bible says this. Uh, Let's see here. I think I'm in the wrong one. 78. Yeah, 69. And he built his sanctuary like high palaces, like the earth which he hath established. What's the next two words? Forever. He established the earth forever. Let's go to Psalms 104. Psalms 104 and verse number 5. Psalms 104, verse number 5. Who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed. What's the next two words? Forever. What are the foundations of the earth? Everything underneath our feet. Anything underneath my feet is the foundation of the earth. God's original intent for the earth was that it would last forever. When God created the earth, he created it perfect. Right? Did he not? When God creates something perfect... What need is there for it to be changed? 
There is none. There is none. And when God created the earth, he created these foundations, he created them forever. One more place, let's go to Psalms 115. Psalms 115 and verse number 16. Psalms 115, verse 16, the Bible says, The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. God has given us this earth. He's given this terrestrial ball, this planet, and he created it to last forever. Now, of course, we know that mankind sinned, and with sin comes the curse. There was a terrible curse, terrible curse. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, we'll see this curse and what it did to the earth. In Genesis chapter, uh, let's see here. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 14. This is after mankind has sinned and God gives them their curse. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, the Bible says, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. I find that interesting too. He's going to multiply both her sorrow and he's going to multiply her conception. In other words, it will be easier for her to get pregnant now, but it will be more painful. Why would God multiply her conception if he didn't want the earth to be filled? Interesting thought. Um, I will multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field, in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. This is the curse. Because mankind sinned, God cursed the entire earth. And although the, the one that he created perfectly, that was beautiful and spectacular, everything about it is cursed now because of sin. Now, that's not to say that it's not still amazing. It's not still spectacular. I'll give you two illustrations. Uh, many, many people remember the oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico by BP. I think it was either 2010, around that time. Plastered all over the news. And when BP had that huge oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico, scientists went berserk. They lost their minds. Because they predicted that all plant and animal life inside the Gulf of Mexico would be wiped out and it would not be back for decades. It would be decades for it to recover. Me and my family were down there about a year and a half later. We went out on a fishing charter, and there was no sign of oil anywhere. It was gone. And what they discovered was there was a tiny microbacterial organism that lived in the Gulf of Mexico specifically, and it ate the oil. It was gone. And they knew that existed before, but they didn't know what purpose it served. And all of a sudden, we have this ginormous oil spill that's going to kill all sea life, and this one organism came to life and ate all the oil. Literally. Went up and ate the oil. That's what it did. Spectacular. Amazing. I live in Oregon City, and we're about an hour and a half south of Mount St. Helens. Maybe you remember back in the year 1980, Mount St. Helens erupted. One of the worst volcanic eruptions modern history has ever seen. Just terrible. The, the 
explosivity of the, of the eruption was so massive, it had the power and magnitude of 45, 45 atomic bombs going off. That's how powerful it was. It completely obliterated one side of the mountain. It lost 1,400 feet in elevation. It wiped it out. It wiped it out. And scientists were convinced it'd be centuries before life would be back. Centuries. Year and a half later, what happens? They go up there and they find the two things that every single person with a garden hates. Weeds and moles. And because of those weeds and moles, it created root systems, it provided structure to the soil, it brought back nutrients to the soil, and plant life was able to regrow. You go up there today, and if, if you drove up there today and never knew that there was a volcanic eruption, you wouldn't know. There's more life now there, there there's more life there now than there was before. It's amazing. When God created the earth, he created it with this amazing ability to rebound and to react to whatever mankind or not throws at it. And it does it automatically. And it does it automatically. We as Christians have no need to be concerned about climate change, about anything of the sort. And even if we did, even if there was climate change, what's so bad about it? Really? What's so bad about the temperature increasing 10 degrees? The sea levels rise. What's wrong with that? You know, the, the Netherlands have been living on top of water for millennia. They built that nation out of the water. Venice. Who's heard of Venice? It's a tourist destination because people want to go there. What's wrong with that? These cities can survive. There's nothing wrong with that. With, with higher temperatures comes more precipitation. With more precipitation, the amount of deserts in the world decreases. The amount of land area that we can use for agriculture and for more carbon-absorbing plants can be produced. The polar ice caps melt. When the polar ice caps melt, you now have a waterway that ships can travel through rather than going all the way down to the Panama Canal or around the southern tip of South America. It cuts the amount of travel expenses in half. What's wrong with it? Whoever stop to think about that? Nobody really does. Sounds great to me. All I'm saying is here, regardless if there's climate change or not, we don't need to be concerned. We don't need to be concerned. Now, where we do need to be concerned is how we present it. How we present it. Because like I said, as much as I can stand up here and say they've got no strength in their argument whatsoever, I can say that here. Boldly and confidently. When I share, the, share this with somebody who I may be trying to win to the Lord or get to my church or I don't know where their, where their faith is, I gotta be careful. I have to be very careful. And I can share with grace, I can share with kindness, and I can, I can still be bold in what I believe, but there's no need to discourage, to, to disown, to push back on what they believe. Because, once again, if I'm pushing against what they believe to be true, and then I share what I believe to be true, how is that gonna look? How are they gonna respond? Are they gonna be acceptive? I don't think so. In fact, I know so. <laughs> they won't. They won't. So we have to be very, very careful with how we respond to this. Okay. That's it. That's it. All right.
Hopefully that was a blessing and encouragement to you. I'd like to open up the floor to some questions here. Um, if you have any questions about what we talked about tonight here, if you have any questions about science-related, all right, be happy to, to answer the, to the best of my ability. I do this all, all the time in my science classes, and I love it. I love it. I may be, I may be challenged, I may, may be stumped, but I'll try to find the answer for you, all right? So perhaps maybe uh, you want to pass around a, a microphone, Pastor, so, pe so people can speak to a microphone or no? Do you want people to speak into a microphone to be passed around? No? Okay. Any questions? Okay. Any questions? Yeah, Brother Marty. Absolutely. Great question. So in case you didn't hear it, he asked, what is the role of the Christian um, in portraying that we do care about the world? We are concerned about it, if I'm responding correctly here, um, but have a greater concern for, for souls. So that's a great question. Um, so there are two different words that I would describe how people respond are supposed to respond. On one hand, you have the environmentalist. And the environmentalist they are concerned that every single resource the earth has is fragile, and it's my job to protect it at any cost. On the other hand, you have the conservationist, and the conservationist believes just as much that the resources of earth are important, but that they're not fragile. It's my job to be a good steward of them and to have dominion over them. I call it wise dominion, right? For example, if I were, if I were a king and I had my own domain, my job is at the, end of my, at the end of my life as a king, I want my kingdom to be in better shape than how I found it. And we as Christians should have the same mindset to the dominion that God gave us to be in charge of. Now, maybe that's not my, my top priority, but it is definitely a priority. So I should not be one that goes out and tries to kill off an entire species, right, because I can, or to destroy the earth by extracting all of its oil out of it because I can, who cares? Absolutely not. I need to be very wise in how I approach that and conserve as best as I can. In so doing, I show that, yes, I care about the resources of the earth. I, I care about what is around me um, so much so that it benefits the next generation after me. But at the same point in time, it does not consume every part of me. It's not something that is so fragile that if I don't protect it at all costs, and a lot of times that's the point that it gets to. You have these massive environmental groups that feel like they have to do everything they can to protect that specific ecosystem or that specific species because nobody else has cared about, cared about it for so long. And some of that falls on us as Christians because we as Christians are called to be conservationists, not, not particularly environmentalists, but to conserve the Earth's resources and to be a good steward of them rather than have a carefree attitude. Who cares? Does that answer your question? Great. Good question. Great question. 
Anybody else? Yes, Ms. Kavanaugh. Sure. Absolutely. Great question. Um, so just down in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, we have the Creation Museum. Um, they produce a, uh, a magazine, a monthly magazine, um, which is very helpful. They also have resources for children as well. Um, and so AnswersInGenesis.org is a tremendous uh, website. They produce a bunch of different um, material, books, articles, magazines, things like that. Very helpful. Um, additionally, you have the Institute of Creation Research, which is down in Houston, Texas. Um, and they produce a magazine every single month called Acts and Facts. Um, very helpful magazine as well. Now, I will put this caveat on both of those. All right? Neither one of those is a King James-based resource. And at this, at this point in time, there is none. There is none. So you have to be extremely cautious with both of those. Be very careful. Um, however, they do provide some excellent materials that helps provide some more understanding, education, different things like that. Um, I, I would also uh, point towards Bob Jones Press. Bob Jones Press provides some tremendous um, resources as well, especially for the younger children, if you're interested in things like that, as far as from a scientific standpoint. And you've got other, other curriculum out there, like a Becca uh, produces things like that. But as far as for, for an adult, uh, probably the two best places you can go right now would be AnswersInGenesis.org and then um, the, the Institute for Creation Research. Does that help? Anybody else? Brother Don. Have you ever thought about writing your own resources for choosing, say, scripture? I have. I would love to do that. I would love to do that. That's one of my goals. Uh, it takes time. <laughs> it takes a lot of time. And so perhaps one day we'll get there. Yes, sir. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. I have written very, very little so far, but I'm working on it. Yes, sir. Any questions? Yes. Sure. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. So, if you didn't hear her question, um, she asked if, uh, for younger children, are they, will it be necessary as they grow up to be able to know where they stand from a biblical worldview to provide a rebuttal to somebody who asks some sort of scientific question? And one hundred percent, absolutely. Um, obviously, it's challenging, right? Because it seems like there's more and more areas where we need to be, you know, able to take a stand and, and, and provide an answer. Uh, but 100%, I, I firmly believe that this is an area that is at the core and at the center of everything, right? Where you have, they, they base everything off of science, and we base everything off of the Word of God. And in all reality, those two go hand in hand better than anything else I've ever seen. But many Christians 
fail to be able to see those links, and as a result, we fail to share with the world how perfect that union, union can be because that's what God created them to be. And you, you go back to Isaac Newton and Copernicus and Galileo. I mean, they, they refer to the scriptures throughout every single work that they ever wrote, and that is why they studied it. They studied science specifically to bring glory and honor to God who created it all. That is why they did it. And they were they're the fathers of modern science. And we don't, we don't see that anymore. So absolutely, we need, we need the, the next generation, if we can ourselves, we need the ne- next generation to be able to provide the answers, if not for themselves, then for other people, as far as the difference between creation and evolution, a biblical worldview and a secular worldview. What is that, where does that fall for science? Where does science fall in the middle of that? Yes. Sure. The, the question I have is this. Does conserving our resources mean we cannot consume? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Being a, a, a wise steward or having wise dominion over something does not mean I can't use what is properly mine. God commanded, he said, I should have dominion over it and subdue it. Right? So I can use it to an area that's going to benefit me. Now, I need to be careful and wise in that, just like somebody who may have a garden, right? It's my garden. I go out. If I don't tend to it, it's going to go to waste. But the more I care for it, the more I tend for it, the better fruit I receive. And at the end of the, end of the year, when I, when I reap my, my crop, it'll be magnificent. The more care I give to it. Same thing goes with the earth's resources. The more I care for it, the more I'm concerned about it, the more I, I put my attention towards it, the better the result will be. And we'll find that in the end, it pays off. Not for us, but for the next generation as well. Yeah, great question. Thank you, brother. I just throw my two cents in. And when it talks about moderation in the Bible, I think that's a big factor here. That uh, we, we as Christians sometimes find ourselves, as he said, in that one extreme. And then we get an attitude toward people who are at the other extreme. You can never help people that you're angry with. You can't help somebody that you're, 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 you're totally just frustrated to tears with. And I think it's important that we come to that biblical balance that we need to have, as Brother Mark was talking about, and that there's moderation. That we recognize that we don't have to be afraid of every little thing that's going on around us for fear that the world's going to implode. But by the same token, we don't go out and just say, you know what, let's just empty our oil into the ocean. That, that doesn't make sense either. Let's just let all of our Goodyear's and Firestones and all those different rubber companies dump into our lakes and streams. That doesn't make sense either. And I think that's what we're getting at. Again, moderation is the key. And we appreciate uh, the balance that you bring and the biblical worldview, Brother Mark. Thank you. That's a ter- term that I think is going to become more popular along the way for just every Christian with the question that Samantha asked. Um, that, that's what we're really talking about, raising our children with a biblical worldview, not a view from the world standpoint, but from the Bible standpoint. And boy, that's, that's powerful. So appreciate that time that we spent. Uh, Brother Mark, thank you for that. Genesis, I just thought that was a great thought too in Genesis 1-1, wasn't it? Just how he created the earth to be inhabited, to be fruitful, multiply. God definitely knew that there'd be 8 billion people on the earth about now. So praise the Lord for that. That's good stuff. 
All right, well, listen, let's all stand. We thank the Lord for giving us the opportunity to come tonight. And I know there's folks that in our midst, they come on a regular basis to an altar, they pray. There's something maybe that's on their heart, they're heavy. But I think we do need to be prepared uh, in the future, understanding that our real responsibility and goal, our sole purpose is to reach people with the gospel. Again, we can't be fighting and bickering over things that really have no eternal value. And sometimes we make, major, we, make, we make majors out of minors. And for the believer, this thing called climate change is not something that we need to go around and hoist signs in the air and tell people that we're standing against them because they don't, they're, they're you know, nutcases. And they're things they were nutcases. And then we try to, as he said, present the gospel. We just need to have balance in our lives and we need to make sure that we have a biblical worldview. And so tonight, we're going to take just a minute and we're not going to linger long. We're going to have an invitation only because I know there's folks that have heavy hearts and want to take care of something and pray. But maybe in your own heart, your own life, maybe there's some lack of balance in your life. Maybe not just in this area, but in other areas. Balance is everything. And you need to have it. Maybe your temper's out of balance. You know, maybe, maybe you're, you're, you're not handling pressure well. And you're out of balance. You're at a boiling point. And you need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I need some balance in my life. I've got to figure out a way to bring down the stress levels. I've got to find a way to cope and to deal with life. And I just need to be do, have all things in moderation. Right now I feel like I'm out of balance. And ask the Lord to help you. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you, Lord, for Brother Mark and just his insights. Lord, for all of his study and just preparation that he's done through the many years of his life. We're so grateful, Father that he comes with a, a very uh, commonsensical perspective, and yet, Lord, a, a viewpoint, Lord, that uh, is, is very practical for us as believers. Lord, I'm so thankful, Father, that um, young men are being raised up to see things from a biblical perspective. And Lord, I do pray, Lord, that one day, sooner than later, um, he would be able to spend time writing and preparing information for believers in a King James format so that, Lord, we can hand them directly to our children and they can use those tools and references to better their worldview and to enable them to be more effective in communicating Bible truth. Lord, we love you now. We just pray you'd bless this time of invitation. In Christ's name, amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed.